Welcome back to another Tuesday night. So good to be with all of you. Looking forward to the day when we get to move inside. But something something reminds me that we're going to look back at this day and be like, you know what? This wasn't too bad after all. Yeah, it was the worst year of my life, but it really wasn't that bad. Now, here's going to be my question. At 2022 or 2024, whenever this season of our life is fully over, I wonder if you would go back in time to change anything. I've been watching a couple like time travel movies. Some of the greatest, I mean, everyone loves Back to the Future, which obviously I can't endorse fully. You know that. It's not the best movie. But Interstellar, Mindbender, I still don't understand that movie. I have to watch it several times to get a sense of what's actually taking place. Groundhog Day, obviously a classic, but also about somewhat of a time travel. Um, Even Avengers, Lego movie, everything's about time travel. And it really does pose some interesting questions. So if... You had the chance. If you had the opportunity, you invented the the time machine, would you go in the past to fix the future? Would you time travel to fix something that maybe you broke or maybe to save your parents? If you're Bruce Wayne, maybe you go back and you fight off that bad guy or maybe you need to make your parents fall in love (laughs) like one of these movies. Uh, In any event, would you go back in time to change the future today? Or... If you knew that some catastrophic event, you knew September 11th was on the horizon because you have some access to God's power and you could see into the future. You knew another September 11th was on the way. Would you, would you do anything to prevent that? Seems like it's pretty obvious, right? Well, of course we would. If I had the chance, I knew that Osama bin Laden number two was on the way and he was going to run his plane into a building. Would you stop that? Of course you would. If you, if you could anyway. It's not a big jump. It's a little jump, but it's not a big jump to say you have access to the future right now. You know some events. You may not know the time they come. You may not know uh, how it all unfolds specifically, but you know what the future holds for a lot of people. In fact, you know what the future holds for everybody in one way, shape, or form. You know that everyone's going to die. You know that everyone's going to face God. You know that everyone is going to have to give an account for the life that they lived before God himself, Christian or non-Christian. All of us are going to stand before the Bema seat. But non-Christians will stand before God and they will either be called righteous or unrighteous. But even that's not a question. We know how that ends. The Bible says for anyone who doesn't bow their knee to Jesus and cling to him for faith, that their lives will be forever lost in eternal conscious torment. The Bible calls that the second death. Everybody will likely die once, but some of us will die twice. We'll die in this life and you'll die in the next one. That's why when you think about Jesus and what he says in John chapter three, he says, whoever believes in me has eternal life. You have a life that continues in quantity, but you also have a life that is impossible to enumerate in quality. But for those who refuse to bow the knee to Christ, for those who delay and for those who choose not to love him, Bible says the opposite of eternal life is eternal conscious torment. There is death. That's a future reality that you have access to in the present, which means there are people in your life who don't know that or perhaps do know that and need to be pled with to respond to that. 
you have access to that future right now. You don't have to watch a movie. You don't have to do interstellar. You don't have to fly around the globe to, to go back in time. You can see the future right now because of what the scripture says, and you have the chance to do something about that. Even here tonight, under, underneath the stars, or I guess no stars, some bees or whatever those are, dragonflies, I think, well, whatever, and clouds, you have an opportunity to be around people who I am confident in this 100, 200 amount of people here, there are people here who aren't Christians. For those of you who are Christians, you have a chance to talk with them tonight and to plead with them. If you are a Christian, you can share your testimony with these people and let them know why it's so important that they don't reject the only offer of salvation that they have. Tonight, we're going to talk about something that we've talked about before. And you probably have heard me talk about this at ad infinitum for those of you who have been around my ministry for any bit of time, but it's an important enough talk, topic to talk about again and again and again because we constantly need the reminder. In fact, until we begin to face this reality about heaven and hell, eternal life and eternal death, until we begin to think about these things more constantly, consistently, we're never going to get to the place where we feel that pressure to talk to people where you're sitting next to somebody or you're at the restaurant or you just strike up a conversation with a stranger, you're never gonna feel that internal compulsion to tell them about Jesus until you really honestly believe that something awaits them at the end of their lives. That when we talk to these people, it really is a matter of eternal life or eternal death. This means that we have to learn to get over our fears, our embarrassment, our hesitations, and here's, here's the way that this is going to shake out. This entire sermon can be boiled down to one point, okay? When we see like Christ, we will care like Christ. When we see like Christ, we will care like Christ. Conversely, if you don't see like he sees, then you're not going to care. And as I was praying about this and thinking about our ministry and even us as high school students and leaders and a pastor in this case, I thought, I wonder if we care enough Probably not. I'm hoping that tonight is like an injection of steroids into your soul. Spiritual steroids that help you see this is why this is so important. This is why it matters. This is why we do True North in the first place. It's not because we like the sound of our voices or that we, our band is amazing. It's because we see the need. We're evangelicals because we want people to be evangelized, to come to know what the true meaning of life is and how they need to reconcile with God through the only means, Jesus Christ. And again, when we see like Christ, we're going to care like Christ. Let's begin to see anew tonight. Turn to Matthew chapter 9, starting at verse 35. We're going to look at four verses. They should be familiar to you. We've talked about this before, but we're going to pay attention to the master soul winner, King Jesus himself. We're going to look at his story and see how he went about this. Now you have to know, Jesus' ministry, his earthly ministry was not that successful. People rejected him. He didn't have a lot of people beside him as he died. In fact, all of his closest friends fled from him. But when he resurrected himself, that was the game changer. These previously uh, uh, wimpy men, even though they were you know, men, men's men, these previously wimpy men turned into these, uh, these globe-trotting men who wanted to see people come to faith in Christ. Everything changed for them because of the resurrection. But notice in Jesus' ministry, his focus, his intention. Take a look with me here. We're going to look at verse just 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages. Okay, so he's in Galilee. This is all of Galilee. He's, he's, he's got a, a circuit tour. He's touring all these places around Galilee, the cities and the villages. And notice he's doing three things. There are three participles in this sentence here. 
teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. In Jesus' short time on earth, he had a, a ministry where he would go all around to different people to make sure everybody could hear him. And he was teaching, he was preaching, and he was healing. That was his whole objective. His job was to bring people to a knowledge of who he was. He was trying to make it absolutely clear, I am the Messiah you've been looking for. I'm here to seek and to save the lost. Come to me and be healed. Even though Jesus is not here anymore, his ministry of teaching, preaching, and healing is still necessary. In fact, let's together rehearse why people still need Jesus. Point number one, realize why people, or realize why people need Jesus. And I could, I could have inserted still, still need Jesus. I was looking at some pictures the other day, <laughs> some old pictures. I was trying to find a, a high school photo for you guys that I could show you myself in high school. But then I saw the way I was dressed and I thought, you know what, never mind. <laughs> On second thoughts, you don't need to see that. Someday, you're going to look back at your younger year photos and think, why was I wearing that? What was I thinking that caused me to put that on and let someone take a photo of me? I promise you, it's going to happen someday. It may not be in the next 10 years, maybe 20 or 30 years. You're going to look back at yourself and say, why did I let myself wear that? It kind of reminds you of like the ancient fashion icons, you know, like the, the, the gals, how they would dress with those frumpy hats and the men would wear suits back in the 20s. If you scoot on closer to the 40s, you see women start to wear these pant things with uh, shoulder pads. That was weird. Women aren't football players. They don't need shoulder pads. When you start looking at the 70s, things got really strange. Really strange. Bell bottoms, tie-dye, really tight pants apparently were a thing for guys, and they've made a comeback. Okay. <laughs> okay. And now we're at the 2020s. And apparently it's, it's fashionable not to look like you care. So there you go. <laughs> Don't look like you care. That's the goal. And then you're fashionable. So next time I preach, I'm going to be preaching in sweats and a tattered up t-shirt. But here's the thing, guys. No matter how the fashions change, Jesus never goes out of style. We might look different on the outside. We might dress differently uh, uh, on the outside. But what we all need internally, Jesus himself alone can provide. We look different on the outside, but we need the same thing on the inside. We need from Jesus the three things that he came to do when he first approached the earth ministry. He was teaching. Let's talk about teaching. He was teaching in the synagogues and he was proclaiming and he was, he was healing. But let's talk about his teaching ministry. So first of the three reasons we still need Jesus, first of all, we need him to teach us the truth. You see, we're not good barometers of what is true versus what is false. We have this, uh, this difficult issue with re resolving the truth of, in and of ourselves. But as you guys remember in John 14, 9, Jesus is the what? The way, truth, and life. Excellent. He's the way, he's the truth, and he's the life. Jesus teaches truth. He's not subject to an outside standard, but what Jesus says is truth. So here's the way it works. If I, if I tell you, hey, I am a, I'm a Hispanic American, born in 85, uh, and my shoe size is 11 and a half or so, now, those are things that are true. I am court, I, I'm saying things that are true. But here's the way that it works for Jesus. What he says is true. He doesn't submit to a true standard. What he says is the standard. And so when Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, he's not saying, I, I agree with truth as it exists. He's saying, I am the truth. What I say is truth. I define what truth is. 
And that's different from anything else you're going to see or hear out in the world. That's why he taught as one with authority. He wasn't just uh, ascribing to a certain school of thought. Jesus himself, what he said is true, which is why we read our Bible. We want to see what Jesus says. And yet most of our lives, the people around us build their lives on sand. People today are being, uh, are being courted by a type of philosophy and ideology that only promises death. There's a song that you might know about that recently came out by two popular artists. And the song is celebrated, celebrated as a sex-positive song about the way that we should think about people. These two ladies sing about the most profane thing that you can possibly imagine. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Don't bring it up. Just know I'm talking about what you think I'm talking about. It's not only celebrated as a sex positive song, it's also at the Billboard Top 100. It's one of the highest stream songs on Spotify, on Apple Music, on Amazon Music, on Tidal. All the major streaming services have this song as one of their top most streamed songs. And the song is awful. It degrades women in the worst possible way. It is far from a joke. It is unfortunately the reality. And here's the thing. It's celebrated. The culture says this is exactly how we should expect to think about these things. We should appreciate and, and respect these women for being so bold to say these things. And on the inside, I shudder and I cry because these poor people are so entrenched in the world system that they can't even see the nose on their face. They're so blind to the reality that they think they're doing something good when in reality, they're undercutting everything that they as women should stand for. And the men, the men on the sidelines, the producers, the songwriters, and the, the instrumentalists, these guys all say, good job, ladies. Good job for selling your bodies and your soul to the world. Our world needs truth. Jesus is the truth. We still need that, guys. We still need the divine standard that Jesus himself sets. People are vying for your attention. People are vying for your affection. People are vying for your belief in what is true. One woman was bullied by a mob who demanded that she raise her fist in solidarity with BLM. As they cajoled her and bullied her and said, said to this woman, why don't you raise your fist with us? One of the, one of the ladies said, are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? Because she wouldn't raise her fist and she wouldn't allow herself to be compromised in that way, she was charged with being a racist and a bigot and everything else. This went viral, and this is just another way. I, I point these things out to you, not to, not, not, to, not to get you upset or angry. I want you to see what's happening in front of you. If you're paying attention to the news or Twitter or anything else like that, you should be able to see that the truth is certainly put on display right now, but it's not God's truth. It is the world's truth. It is the, the way that the world works. And, and it, everyone is vying for your attention. Buy this, believe this, fight for this, raise your fist for this. This is what the truth is about. But yet Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth. I'm the life. We still need Jesus to give us truth, guys. We cannot do this on our own. Three reasons you, you need Jesus, we need truth still. We still need the divine teacher to give us divine truth. But not only that, we need truth because it leads us somewhere. Jesus was proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. We, only, uh, we don't only need truth, we also need salvation. That should be obvious. 
Every single one of us here needs the salvation that Jesus alone offers. He was going all around proclaiming. It was kerusoing. It's Jesus preaching to the masses saying, this is the gospel of the kingdom. I am here as Messiah. You need me. I am the guy Isaiah 53 was talking about. And yet today, everybody knows the world's broken. Everybody knows that. There's no question in anyone's mind at this point. And so what do we do? We, we enact legislation. We're voting for things. We're hoping to vote for the president in November. Uh, we, we become activists. We march down streets. We give to charities. We start nonprofits. Now we look to science to fix our woes. Hopefully science will produce a vaccine that will keep us from ever getting the coronavirus again. And yet many people are going to say, I'm not going to take that. I don't trust that. We're going to put our money in education. Hey, we don't need more cops. We need more social workers. We need education. We need more educational programs. And so we, we give our money and our time to that. And I'm not saying that necessarily any of those things is bad. But it's wrong when we look to those things as, a, as the primary means by which we fix the world. Jesus mentions none of those things. Jesus essentially says, your biggest problem isn't what you think it is. Your biggest problem is that you are naturally an enemy with God. You're a sinner. And you're naturally born to do the wrong thing. And therefore, what you really need is to have your relationship with God resolved, reconciled. If you go to the doctor and you say, doc, I have a tummy ache. And the doctor says, oh, okay, no problem. Here, take two aspirin every day. You'll be fine. You're not going to go back to that doctor because he didn't deal with the issue. All he did was cover, cover it up, right? He's hiding the symptom by giving you pain mitts. He's not really dealing with what's happening inside your stomach. And that's what the world does. The world is going to give you pain mitts to deal with the symptom, but it's never going to deal with the root issue. Jesus says, I come to give salvation, to preach the gospel to the world. In fact, when Jesus started out his ministry in Mark chapter one, he says, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. That's still the same thing today, guys. Repent and believe the gospel. Tonight, you're going to have a chance to talk in your small groups about what you love about the gospel. And maybe you're not a believer, and so you're not going to have a lot to say. But I'm trusting that for those people who are Christians in your small group, that they're going to be able to share some things about why the gospel is precious to them. Gospel of the kingdom solves our deepest issues. In fact, if God wanted to, and he sparked a revival across our campuses and across our country, that would resolve many of our greatest issues today. It wouldn't resolve coronavirus. But that whole thing about racism, I think the gospel would help with that. I don't think you would think less of me because I'm a Mexican. I don't think you do now. I don't think less of you because most of y'all are white. I don't look down on you for that. The gospel frees us to look at petty, superficial things like that and gives us the ability to love each other for who we are and not what color our skin is. gospel of the kingdom. Jesus also has his healing ministry. Every disease, every affliction, Jesus gives them a foretaste of what the gospel is going to look like. Someday your bodies will no longer have sickness. Someday you're never going to have a headache. Someday you're never going to have acne problems. Someday your strength will only be perfectly strong and never fail in, in weakness. Someday you won't even have to worry about a receding hairline. Like all this is going to be taken care of. Your body will be made perfect. The parallel for us today, where Jesus fulfills a need, Jesus provides truth, he provides salvation, he provides restoration. And I could be so 
broad about that because Jesus restores us in so many ways. He restores our, our emotional uh, well-being. He restores our soul. He restores our, in some ways, our physical capacity. James chapter five talks about having the elders come and pray for us. There's healing. God still heals today. I always mean by a healer, of course. He does that through modern medicine and a whole host of other ways. God does respond to prayer, but God's in the business of restoring us. And that primarily takes place through our own sanctification. As God saves us after he justifies us, then he takes it from where we start to the rest of our lives, becoming more and more like Christ, making the fruit of the spirit a, a feature of our lives because that's what Jesus wanted for us. These are the things that Jesus provides that never go out of style. And this is what our country needs today. This is what you need today. This is what your classmates need today. This is what your soccer club needs today. This is what your band needs today. Everybody still needs truth. Everybody still needs salvation. Everybody still needs restoration. We're all works in progress. And this is what Jesus comes to fulfill. This is why we must extend the gospel to as many people as possible. We see like Jesus. We will care like Jesus. Let me show you the way that Jesus sees. Look back at verse 36 here for me. It says, when he saw the crowds, when Jesus looked at them, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus felt compassion. He was deeply moved. Jesus looked at people and he didn't see, oh, look, there's a traffic jam. There's too many people at this, you know, this McDonald's or whatever. There's all these people that are getting in my way. They're causing me to wait longer. You know, I'm stopping the traffic light because these people have to cross. I hate, man, there's so many people. Jesus didn't look at, look at people with annoyance. Jesus looked at them with compassion and said, they need a savior. They need a shepherd. Jesus was deeply moved. See, Jesus was able to see past the exterior of people's lives and see the inside. See the fact that most of you guys here are anxious and worried and depressed. Some of you guys are dealing with mental issues. Jesus could see that. We can't see that. But we can begin to start making some safe assumptions about people, ways that we can look at them and understand, okay, everyone is going through something and I know some truths, some spiritual truths about you that, that should really require me to be a lot more moved than I am today. Point number two, like Jesus, we ought to care about the plight of lost people. Care about the plight, the end for lost people. Where they're going, we, ought, we know where they're going and we ought to care about that. I've been seeing studies lately about the effect of face masks on people, not just the health benefits or the health detriment rather, uh, but the fact that face masks uh, make people feel less comfortable with each other. Why? Well, because you can't see them. They look anonymous. They look threatening. In fact, one study was done on face masks and it said that for doctors who wore face masks, that their patients perceived less empathy. They, they diminished positive effects of relational continuity. They were, they were unable to connect with the doctor the way, the way they wanted to. And so the patients looked at the doctor and said, I trust you less because you're wearing a face mask. I can't see you. That's essentially what this says at the bottom of the report here. But here's the thing. It's harder to care for people we can't see. That's an obvious fact of life. It's hard to care for people we can't see, which is why it's so important that we see like Jesus saw so we can care like Jesus cared. Look at this again. He saw the crowds. And what did he see? He saw they're harassed and helpless. They're harassed and helpless. You, you got to think about like a shepherd and sheep, right? A, a wolf comes in harassing these poor helpless sheep, tearing them to pieces, right? This, uh, this pre predator is trying to make a meal out of these poor sheep. And so what Jesus notices is something that you and I should notice. There are predators trying to attack the sheep. In fact, if we're going to start caring, we've got to see the crowds and subjection to the cruelty of the enemy. 
There is an enemy for everybody here. He's called the devil and he's got friends. They're called demons. They go out and wreak havoc on the world. They put leaders in place. They influence pop culture. This is all meant to derail your faith and not let you get close to God. It's hard for us to see that, but when you think about your people at school, when you see friends on the Zoom screen, you should be able to see people that are more than just their faces. The imagery should conjure pity in you. You should look at people and realize that people are going through their own battles, their own struggles. Suicidal ideation, depression, anxiety, hatred, anger, unforgiveness, lust. So many things that when you look at people, you should have a sense of more than just, I see your outside. There are things about people that Jesus has told you where you can in some way see the inside. You know that they're sinning. You know that they're struggling. And most of that is due to external forces. I saw uh, this, this, I don't know, it must have been a tweet a while ago now, where they showed this, showed this polar bear that was struggling to find food. I saw it, and I saw this poor polar bear. It was National Geographic, and they showed it. They had some music behind him, and this poor polar bear was unable to find food. You sort of saw him moving around, like just kind of slouching and dragging his poor hind legs to find something to eat. And as I watched this clip on Twitter, I thought, man, that's terrible. I want to I support this polar bear. Can I adopt him? Can I send him a seal? Can I do something for him? I cared about this polar bear. And you know why I cared about the polar bear? Because like you, I see and I have pity. Some of us care more for animals than we do for humans. Some of us have a hard time feeling pity and sorrow and sadness for people when it's so easy when we see the puppy, and for some of y'all, a cat or a polar bear, and you feel pity. We ought to feel a lot more pity and sadness for people. Why? The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The Bible says that these people are enslaved. The enemy is working on them. You ought to also see these people devoid of the caring leadership of the good shepherd. For some of you, for those of you who are Christians, you can say, man, the, the good shepherd has cared for me. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I'm not going to be hungry. I'm not going to be sad. I have, a, I have a savior who's cared for all my needs. Jesus says of himself, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And so for, for non-Christians, they can't say, I have someone who died for me to, for the well-being of my life. I have someone who's willing to die in my place that I might be right with God. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Jesus doesn't just know you from a distance. Jesus knows you personally, intimately, and he calls you his own. As a Christian, that's not the case for unbelievers. Jesus also is the shepherd and overseer of your soul. He's not just, again, some distant manager looking down at you. He cares for you. Every aspect of your life, he's overseeing your soul and he's shepherding you. By contrast, the world's leadership is nothing of the sort. It is the opposite of Jesus' leadership. It is selfish. It is impersonal. It is negligent. Jesus also says, a thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Have you guys ever heard the term servant leader? Servant leader? Okay, it's a popular term. Uh, in fact, if you want to look at the term servant leader, you'd find about 4 billion books about the subject. Jesus is the OG servant leader. In fact, I'm confident that whoever initiated this idea got it from Jesus. Jesus is often attributed with it, but not everybody says that. Jesus is the penultimate. He is the ultimate, rather, servant leader. When business books are written about how you can be a better servant leader, it's a difference between LaCroix 
and a soda. LaCroix is naturally essenced, right? A naturally essenced, whatever that means. It, it, it tastes almost like a flavor, but it's not. Whereas the soda, you get the full flavored, like sugar high, the, you know, the f- sugar rush in your head, like your whole body tingles with, that, with the suds in your mouth. That's the difference here. These books talk about the essence, like the, the flavor essence of servant leadership. But Jesus is the whole thing. And Jesus is the whole enchilada. This is the sampler. Jesus is the main entree. And what we need is not just a, a little nibble of servant leadership. We need the feast that only Jesus can provide. Now, for some of you, I wonder how this is hitting you. You might say to yourself, you know what? I, okay, I could see there's a need. Maybe I don't care enough. I probably don't care enough. Or maybe I'm still having difficulty even being moved at this point, Pastor Rod. Help me. I have an answer for you. Jesus preempts your answer here. Look at verses 37 and 38. Here's what Jesus says. He said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. In other words, be encouraged. There's a lot of people to be harvested here. But the laborers are few. So there's a challenge. There's an encouragement and there's a challenge. There's a lot of people to be harvested, but there's not a lot of people to go out and do the work. Verse 38, therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. This is God's harvest. This is his mission field. He's saying, pray for people. And that word for prayer is a strong word for prayer. He says, I want you to pray earnestly. In fact, that word earnest, we talked about this already, but let me show you. Earnest, resulting from or showing sincere and intense conviction. Your prayers ought to look sincere and intense. He says, pray with sincerity and intention as you pray to me and ask God to send out people to go and get these unbelievers. Pray earnestly. Here's your point. Looking at the example of Jesus, we're going to follow his directives. The first step is not go out and see people get saved. The first step is not go out and tell people the gospel, although that is a step. The first step is prayer. I put it like this, point number three, we need to beg God to make us more evangelistic. This is not, notice a second person imperative. This is a plural. This is for us. This is for all of us. This is to acknowledge the fact that all of us know we have a long ways to go to care the way that Jesus cares. If we see like Jesus sees, we will care like Jesus cares. We're not there. Have you ever begged? Have you ever had to beg for anything? And I don't mean like begging for, for money or food. Um, I mean beg. Like, do you ever plead with somebody to say, please do this? Like maybe you asked your parents to buy you something or you asked your sibling not to tell mom who broke the this or that. Have you ever begged somebody? Or better yet, have you ever been on the other side of someone begging you? Back in elementary school, some of you guys know this but I thought this is a good example. Back in elementary school, there was a guy that I wasn't particularly friends with, but we weren't enemies. We just, he was just another guy. We all went to sit on the carpet to listen to teacher talk. We all sat crisscross applesauce. And then I looked over at him and I noticed something, something unusual, something caught my eye that wasn't normally the case. I looked down at his feet and I noticed between his pant leg and his shoe, that he was wearing girl socks. So I looked at him with awe, with confusion, a little bit of disgust, I'll be honest. (laughs) What are you doing? 
his face showed a combination of being mortified and pleading. He looked at me with a whispered voice, with sad eyes. And I think if I remember, it was a long time ago, but I think I, I, think I saw his hands clasp, clasped together. He said, please don't tell anybody. Please don't tell anybody. Don't say anything. Don't say anything. Please, please, please. And so I did what any mature elementary student would do. <laughs> I raised my hand and I pointed and I yelled, he's wearing girl socks. <laughs> uh, you, yeah, all is right. I utterly crushed the guy. If I remember right, I saw him do this. You're trying to hide from everybody. I came to find out later that he wore them because he had no clean socks and he was running out the door. And I still feel bad about that. <laughs> when you beg toward humans, you might have a mixed response. But when we beg God to do something that is his heart to do, God delights to answer that kind of prayer. I want to make my point really quickly here. Let me just elucidate why. Why should we beg, beg God to make us more evangelistic? Well, first of all, this is the son's heart. Luke 19, 10. The son of man comes, came to seek and to save the lost. The son of man came to seek and to save the lost. This is also the father's heart. John 20 and 21. Jesus says, as the father has sent me, so I am even sending you. The father sent Jesus on the mission for salvation. Not only that, this is the Spirit's heart. In John 15 and in Acts 1, uh, the Spirit uh, of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. He says, I'm sending you so that the Spirit can use you to bear witness about me, Jesus the Son. In Acts 1, you see, uh, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth, the Holy Trinity of God working together to propel you to be evangelists. You need to beg God to do this because this is God's heart. This is not my stump speech. This is God's stump speech. When Jesus ascends, Matthew 28, he says, go and do what? Proclaim the gospel, make disciples. This is God's heartbeat, guys. If, if, if we are in any way not feeling this, it's not God's fault. This is an us thing. This is why we got to beg him, please make me more like you, God. Help me to care. I don't care right now. I don't care that people sitting next to me right now are going to hell. I'm good. We don't say that because that would sound terrible. But for some of us, that's just under the surface. We need to beg God to help to, to make us more evangelistic. How do we do this? We do this together. We do this together. First of all, pray until you pray together. That's why Jesus says, pray earnestly. I want you to pray until you know that you're praying. There are some times when you pray and you realize you walk away like, ah, I really didn't do much. I didn't feel like I ever connected. I didn't feel like I ever got in the groove. You need to persist beyond that. If you get up from your prayer time with God and you feel like, ah, I kind of just went to the motions. I didn't really do much. Stay there. Keep praying. Pray until you pray. Pray for more missionaries. Jesus says about the Father, pray to him that he'll send out labors into his harvest. That word send out is a thrusting. These are people that have to go. And here's the thing, guys. I'm gonna bring this up once more. You might be one of those missionaries. 
God may be stirring up your heart to go across the nation or to go across the globe to be his missionaries. You need to pray open-handed and open-hearted if that's you. You may not see that on your horizon right now, but you ought to pray about that. Maybe some of you guys are going to be pastors. Maybe, maybe God's calling some of you young men who are gifted and skilled to be a pastor, not to be a businessman, not to be an entrepreneur. When I dismiss you guys, you're going to pray now together. So I'm going to have that letter C. Write that down. You're going to pray together during your small groups. Here's what I want you to do in your notes, and I hope you're taking notes. I want you to write down someone's name you'd like to pray to see saved. Take, take a couple seconds. Think about a person's name that you know, a family friend, a, a school friend, club friend. Think about that person. Imagine them in your mind's eye and put their name down. By faith, put their name down. And now you're going to be praying for them in a whole new dedicated way. Pray for that person. There's an old musician. You probably don't care about him. He looks funny, and he also sings kind of funny. But he's a phenomenal musician. Not because he's necessarily gifted at the keys, but he is gifted at the keys. But his name is Keith Green. He wrote this song called Asleep in the Night. Some of the lyrics are powerful. I'm only going to read a, f a few of them to you, but I want you to listen to these or as I read them. He says, do you see, do you see, all the people sinking down. Don't you care? Don't you care? Are you going to let them drown? How can you be so numb not to care if they come? You close your eyes and pretend the job's done. Keith Green died in his mid-30s in a plane crash, but much of his life and his legacy lives on because what he stood for and what he knew innately was that his life was meant to be lived out for the glory of God and the good of others. He wasn't ashamed to tell people he was a Christian, obviously. I mean, he seemed like the kind of guy that that was it, right? His devotion, his love for the Lord was clear. Anyone who knew him knew that much. I don't want to guilt trip you, and that's not my purpose of the sermon, but here's the thing. God invites people to himself because he loves them. Yes, he's God. Yes, he's holy. Yes, he's righteous. And yes, he's just. And he will condemn the ungodly to hell forever. But his call right now is, I'm here to seek and to save the lost. He invites you as his children, for those of you who are children, to be part of that mission, to take it seriously, and to join him in spreading his love to everyone else around the world who will receive that. The time is ticking. The clock is going down to zero. Someday, you and I will be done here. We'll never do this again, because I'll be dead or you'll be dead. While we have breath in our lungs, let's make the best use of it, and let's share what God has shared to us for God has so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Let's pray. God.